The gospel reading for this Christmas Eve is from the book of Luke. In those days, a decree went out from the Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house of David and the family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. When they were there, time came for her to deliver the child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child laying in a manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured all of these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. This is the gospel of the Lord. May the deep, deep peace of Jesus dwell within you on this Christmas night. Emperor Augustus, he wasn't curious about finding out just exactly how many people lived in the Roman Empire. It wasn't because he was fascinated with demographics or because he wanted to provide more equitably for his subjects that he ordered this census that we hear about today. It was always about his power. The census was how the emperor conscripted young men into his already large army. The census was how he collected taxes, which he used to fight wars of conquest and fund propaganda to cultivate loyalty and stamp out dissent. He didn't care about the people, their lives, their hopes, and their dreams. He only cared what they could do for him. Yes, he had a census so that he could count them, 
But that didn't mean they counted to him. Their worth came from what they could produce and from what they could give to prop up his reign. Under those standards, Mary and Joseph weren't worth much. They were poor. They didn't have the right connections. They were never going to make history. They were never supposed to matter in the eyes of the emperor. And in fact, the Christmas story begins this way, doesn't it? It describes Mary and Joseph as little more than pawns in the emperor's game. The emperor makes a decree, and suddenly this couple has to pack their bags, leave their home, not knowing when they'd be able to return, and make the journey to Bethlehem on foot so that they can be registered. And with each step they take away from their home, It's made quite clear to Mary and Joseph who has the power in this situation. They're the ones being counted, but it's only the emperor who counts. And I wonder, as they are being kicked around by Caesar, acutely aware that they are not in control at all in their own lives, I wonder if they begin to think that maybe the emperor is correct about them and that they don't actually count. Perhaps they start to believe that the fact that they wield no worldly power and that they don't have a lot to show for their life and can't control the little they do have means that they are worthless. They have doubts about who they are, if they matter. And this kind of doubtful thinking, it's not just confined to the Bible. We live it out today. We don't have Emperor Augustus anymore to count us up and tell us what we're worth, but it turns out we don't need him. His kind of imagination that only assigns people value and dignity and power after they prove they've earned it lingers with us 2,000 years later. I taught ninth grade confirmation last week, and normally this is a wonderfully verbal group of students. But this night, I was pulling teeth to get conversations started until finally one of them said, Pastor Joel, it's hard for us to concentrate. We all have finals this week, and we're really, really nervous about what's going to happen to us if we don't pass. And this is understandable. But it was also saddening to me because the lesson that evening was literally about naming how people around us have shown us love. The pressure to perform and perfect was so powerful to these youth that they could not break its grip for half an hour to simply contemplate love in their life. Emperor Augustus would be so proud of the world we're building them, a world where we cannot fathom who we are, much less the ways we count, apart from how we prove ourselves through what we produce and how we conform our lives to the script that society hands to us. This is even harder of a task at Christmas 
when there are all those extra obligations and you are expected to perform and conform to a script of cheer and nostalgia and wistfulness so that it becomes that it's not just that you're taking care of your aging parents full-time. It's that you feel like a failure because that means you couldn't get the Christmas cards out this year. It's the additional shame you feel at skipping the holiday party, not because you didn't want to go, but because you wanted to hide the divorce you're going through. It's how we turn up the Christmas carols full volume in the hopes that it will drown out the grief we feel over someone that has died this past year. It's how we wrap presents for someone instead of conversing with them, because if we converse, we know we're going to have to talk about their depression. It's letting your heart get broken by stories of refugees and asylum seekers and gun violence and climate change, but staying silent because speaking up seems divisive and this isn't the season for that. It's desperately trying to keep Christmas exactly like it was last year, as though that somehow will make this new diagnosis go away. You each know the self-doubt that comes when you are made to feel powerless. You know the flood of anxiety that swells around you when you cannot perform to the expectations others have for you. You know firsthand the panicked rush of feeling lost in your own life when it diverts from the path you thought it would take. And if this is how Christmas finds you this year, if you, like our ninth graders, could not break the grip that this pressure to perform and perfect has over you and your sense of what you're worth, then know this. You are much closer to the story from Scripture we read tonight than those of us who can skate effortlessly through this season with a picture-perfect jolliness. For Mary and Joseph spent the first Christmas feeling powerless in a world that told them that they didn't count. They traveled to Bethlehem and they knew that their lives were not in their control, not turning out as they expected. And lo and behold, it is right then and there that Mary has her baby and God is born into this world in Jesus Christ. Jesus is born to people who counted for little in the eyes of the powerful. He is born to people who feel powerless and helpless and worthless. He is born to people living a journey that they did not plan for themselves. That is how and where God is born into this world then and now. The Bible is a living word, and this, then, is the message of the Christmas story. Not just that God showed up in Bethlehem, but that God continues to show up in the disruption and the mess and the doubt and the fear of our existence. That God always chooses to be made known to those who the world leaves behind. That God enters the scene when the scripts the world hands us for our how our lives should look go wildly off course. And that is why we need this story. 
It's because our world won't tell us a story like this. It doesn't know how. The powers at work in this world are really good at counting us up, assessing our worth and status, registering us according to our worldly power and strength. But what the powers of this world cannot do is tell us how much we still count when things don't go as planned and when we come up short and when suffering visits us. We need this wild story from Scripture to do that. We need the promise that God is with us in all things, that our God does not stand at a distance from our problems, but with reckless abandon rushes in, with love that looks fragile and weak in the eyes of the empire, but is strong enough to bear each of our pain and sorrow and transform it into a peace and joy that pass all understanding. And we didn't have to get God's attention to get this love. We didn't have to prove that we were good enough. God simply loved us enough to enter this sorry world, and that shows us all we need to know. So this Christmas, come and see the God who does this for you. Gather at the manger with Mary and Joseph and all those who are living a journey they didn't plan out for themselves. Gather with the shepherds who got stuck working the night shift and all those who the world passes over and writes off. Gather with every hurting person of today, those who cannot perform the expected jolliness of this season. Gather together around this child, and in him, see God's unending love for you. Peer into the manger and know your worth. Look at Jesus and see the God whose love makes you count. Amen.